All right. Is it not? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, whatever. All right. Well, good morning. I'm so glad you guys are here. Um, and I have really enjoyed um, this whole series that we've been going through. I hope you have. I hope you've been challenged. I hope you've been encouraged because we all are made for mission. Um, if you haven't been around, just a quick review. Um, a few weeks ago, we talked about that we're all called. That every single person has a calling in their life. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a mission for us. And then the next week we talk about what's that mission. And uh, it simply just is is continuing the mission that Jesus started. Um, Redeeming the world, coming back, sharing the gospel, doing the news. And so we continue on that. And then last week we talked about your message. Of how simple and how easy that message is. It's just saying this is what God has done for me. And so this morning, we're going to kind of take another step into this. And so we know our message. We know we have a mission. We know we're called and stuff. But then who is our mission then? I mean, is it just random people? Do we just walk up to people on the street and start telling them, hey, this is it. You need Jesus. You're going to hell and all this stuff. Probably not a good approach right off the bat and everything. But I think God has placed us in specific places and with specific people for this time. And that there is a group of people, there's an influence that we have around us that we can, we can get involved in, that we can invest in and everything. And so this morning, that's what I want to do. I want to give you some tools. I want to give you an ability to start thinking about it. Last week, I told you to write down your name one more. Who's that one more person? We're going to expand that a little bit. I want to challenge you um, because one's not good enough for me. I think there's a lot more that we can be reaching out to and everything. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. Um, <coughs> We're going to be sitting in here pretty much all morning. It's a very, it's a story that probably most of us have heard. If you've been around church at all, you've heard this story over and over again, probably, uh, stuff. But um, man, I'm I'm excited about what God is doing in the hearts of us, and, and just seeing, just catching this vision that we have a mission that God has brought us here and everything. But as always, these are the only words that matter. Again, if you don't hear anything else, hear these words. These are the ones that change everything. These are the ones that um, will always be here. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will remain. This is the steady. And, and so out of respect and authority of the authority of these words and everything, I'm going to ask if you'll just stand with me as we read in John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. <coughs> it says, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never thir- never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Will you pray for me? God, I just thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather once again, Father. It is so humbling 
to think that you allow us to do this. God, you, you don't need us to sing. You don't need me to preach. You don't, you don't need us to do anything, but you invite us into your presence every single day, God. God, this morning, as we just dive into your word, I pray that you would just speak and pierce hearts. God, we stand upon the promise that your word will pierce our hearts. God, that you will meet us right where we're at, God, and that you will challenge us and change us. Father, we do have a mission. God, and it is becoming more and more evident every single day of the urgency of that mission. So today, I just pray, God, once again, that you would just encourage our hearts. God, put a fire in us. God, let these words be your words, not mine. God, let this be about you, not me, not about this church, God, but about your kingdom and your plan for this community. God, give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to respond and the courage to live it out as we step out of these walls. Father, we give you this time. Do with it as you will. Have your way. Have your will. God, we love you. We praise you. And we will give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we've been on this journey about being on mission. You know, we, we know our message. It's, it's fairly simple. Message is just what God has done for us. And, and having the courage to go and, and tell people and having the courage to go and actually share it and speak up and speak out and everything. And there's a couple things before we get into like exactly who and, and the tools I want to give you. I, I, just, I just want you to know that we have to have eyes to see. I, I mean, do you walk through this planet? Do you walk around your neighborhoods or at your job or at the parks or wherever you're at? John, do you see the lostness of people? See, because I think that's, that's really the first thing. We have to be able to see what God sees. And too often, we kind of look at people and we kind of judge a book by its cover, don't we? We kind of look at people and some people are like, oh, they got it all together. They're good. Or that person, maybe, no, that's scary. I, I don't want to go to that person. They're too far gone and everything. But the truth is, is we don't know where people are. We don't know where their hearts is. You know, I, I know there's a big kind of thing that says, you know, everyone says, well, if you're a Christian, don't judge. And I, I don't actually think the Bible says that. I think the Bible says don't judge lest you be judged by the same measure. I think you can look into people's lives and you can see the fruit of their faith and everything or the fruit of non-faith in there. And, and we can ascertain that and the Holy Spirit can lead us and kind of reveal things to us. But the very first thing we have to do is we have to start seeing the things that God sees. And we have to understand that every person we see, we don't know because the only person that knows is Jesus. Back in John 2, 24 and 25, it says, Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man for himself, for he himself knew what was in a man. It is only God that knows the heart. It's only God that knows what's going on in people's lives. I don't, I don't even begin to try to understand what's happening in your lives. I can sympathize, I may be able to empathize a little bit, but I don't know. I mean, that's why every Sunday I pray, say, if there's anyone here that doesn't know God, because I don't know. And so I'm never going to miss an opportunity. But the truth is, is a lot of times we just look at people and we sit there and go, well, they're good. And I love it in the New Testament, you, you see kind of two very far ends of the spectrum of the people that Jesus spoke to. And talk to look, look back just for a second, just flip back to John 3, 1. 
It says, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And if you know anything about Bible, if, you, if you've never read this chapter, please read this chapter. It's at every football game. This is that verse, John three sixteen. for God to love you, see everywhere and stuff. Read this chapter. But here's this guy. He's a religious leader. And you would think, looking at him, that, man, he's got it made. He has all the answers. So why should Jesus talk to him? And I think sometimes we do that. Like, we see the people that are struggling hard, that are battling addiction, and they're having all kinds of problems. And we see them like, those are people. But I'm telling you, there are people walking around this planet that look like they got everything made. And they are lost because there's the truth of this. is There's a difference from knowing about Jesus and actually knowing him. And guys, we have neighborhoods, we have a city, we have churches full of people that know about Jesus. But they don't really know him. And if you don't believe me, look later on, like in John and in the New Testament, Jesus says there will be people that come up to him and says, but Lord, we did this in your name, we did that in your name. And he'll say, depart from me because I never knew you. There's a huge difference. And so don't ever take anything for granted. God prompts you. God gives you an opportunity to speak, to share that story. Trust him for the outcome. I think so often we're silent, especially in our churches. We see people that come week after week, and we sit there going like, oh, they got it. They got it. But the truth is that there are so many of us that know about them but don't really know them. And so I, I want you I want you to be <coughs> aware of that before we even get into this, who is my mission, because we have to have eyes to see everything that God is doing in our lives around. We have become a culture. Um, we are really most most kind of people and people that know more, a lot more than me says we're in a post-Christian culture. This used to be a country where it just says, you know, hey, are you a Christian? Of course I am. I'm an American. You know. And, and we thought that it was just being part of this country or just showing up to church and stuff. And we, we've kind of gotten away from that a lot. A lot more people are more honest about it. You know, I love that, you know, there's all these statistics that the church is dying in the United States. The church is getting smaller. I don't think the church is getting smaller. I think the church is getting more realistic. I think people that never really knew Jesus are realizing I don't need to be at church to make business acquaintances and, and look good in my community anymore. And so there's a ton of people out there that we look at that think they have it all together, and they don't. And I just, I got to tell you, when I was in high school, I was the best at playing church. Man, I knew everything to say. I knew exactly how to say it. I knew when to put the these and the thous and all that, uh, ifs and loveth, ifs, I could list like any King James person in the world. And I knew Jesus was my Savior, but I never surrendered to him in high school. I never truly understood what that means. And I'm telling you, there are people around us that are just like that. And so just keep your eyes open. So, so who is my mission? That's what we're going to look at. And so turn back to John 4. And we're going to sit in here um, this morning and stuff. And I want to show you a couple of things that you, you need to see and stuff. The very first thing is location, location, location. What's the most important thing? Location, location, location. Look at verse 1. It says, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went, into Gal- uh, went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well, and it was about 
noon. The very first thing I want you to understand, and you probably know this already, but Samaria was not a place that good Jewish people hung out. You know, it says that, that he had left, and he was going back into, in, in um, he left Judea, and he was going back to Galilee. And most Jewish people, especially rabbis and religious leaders, they would make that an extra day or two journey because they would go around Samaria instead of going through. But Jesus had an appointment. Jesus knew that there was someone he needed to meet. There was some place he needed to go. And so the very thing we need to know is that our location is where God has us at the time to be a witness, to be a minister, to be on mission. So often we think, I think that, you know, if I, I would, man, I would share the gospel, I'd spread the gospel if I was over there. You know, I used to, one of the favorite things I used to do as youth pastors take kids on mission trips. The thing I hated most was taking kids on mission trips. For a simple reason is I would take kids over and they would share the gospel like it was nobody's business. And they were excited and they were pumped. And I would bring them back and I'd put them back in their school. And in three weeks, it was like nothing changed. And I would ask them and say, why, <laughs> why aren't you sharing the gospel? It's like, well, it's, it's, it's not like Ecuador. It's not like Wales or wherever we went. It's not like Romania. It was so easy there. I'm like, what's the difference? See, location is important because we go someplace to the hard places, but we also have to be willing to go right where we're at. And maybe that's across the street. Maybe that's the next street over. Maybe that's in our office. Or wherever we're at, that location. Jesus said even because it was a hard place, he said, I'm, I'm going to go here. I tell you, we got some hard places in our area. We got places where people are struggling. People are hurting. They have filled these apartment complexes. They have filled these neighborhoods. And if we're thinking like, man, if we could just go to like Africa or China and stuff, I'm going to tell you, our mission field is right outside that door. Because if you're not going to do it here, I promise you, I'm not going to send you someplace else to do it someplace else. We got to start here. And Jesus said, this is it. This is, I'm not going to go around and skip this whole place. It may be difficult. It may be against cultural norms, but this is where I'm going. And that's what we're called to do. But, and once we're in there, and once we realize that we are right where God wants us for that purpose, we need to get eyes to see. We need to start looking around and see the things that God sees. Look at, look at verse um, 7. Starting in verse 7, it says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, You don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from himself, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus says, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up from, for eternal life. I, I, I love this picture. Because there's a couple of things that happen in here. That I, I think we gloss over all the time. First of all, it's Samaria, right? We don't talk to those people. We don't hang out with those people. But the truth is, is God saw the value in that woman. 
I, I, I want you to think about this for a couple of things. One, she's a woman. Unfortunately, during that time, ladies, you had no voice. Most of the times you were considered property. And, and, and men, you just you didn't talk to women. You just told them what to do. She's a Samaritan. But look at, she's coming to get water at noon. You see, the time to get water is early in the morning before it gets 150 degrees in the middle of the desert. Because you're carrying those jugs, and so you go in the water. So all the women that came to get water would come early in the morning, but this lady doesn't come until noon, until everybody else is gone. Tells us a lot about what's going on in her life. And if you continue reading the chapter, you find out that she's got a lot of issues. She's got a lot of things going on. But, but here's this woman. But the fact is, is that God had value for her. Can I tell you something? God has value for every person on this planet. You know, any, any person that says, well, we shouldn't talk to them or we should segregate from them or we should be separate from them and we should do this has no idea what Scripture says. Listen, I grew up in the South. I understand that racism still happens in the South, and we still have those issues, and it's grown larger. I spent seven months, eight months in a desert with Middle Eastern people that didn't really want me there. And so I understand there's a lot of animosity, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of racism. I'm going to tell you something. Nowhere in the Bible does racism works. In fact, my Bible says there's only one race, it's the human race, and that every single person has value. And so if you ever are looking at somebody and just saying, well, they're not good enough, or you know, <coughs> they're kind of scary, or they're from the wrong part of town, or they're the wrong skin color, or they're the wrong background, I'm going to tell you this right now, flat out, that is sin. Because every person has value in God's eyes, and because of that, they should have value in our eyes. Every person is worth it. No matter the discomfort, no matter the struggle, no matter the conflict that may come from, it doesn't matter. Every person has value. And God saw this and Jesus saw this and that's why he went. But, but look at the person herself. I mean, she had shame. You know, later on, Jesus is talking to her and he's like, hey, you know, after he says, go get your husband. And she's like, I have no husband. He's like, you're right. You've had five. <laughs> and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And I've heard this preached over and over again about the sin of the Samaritan woman and stuff. Can I tell you, in that culture, it was probably some guy taking advantage of her and abusing her. I think it's the sin of men. By the way, in the garden, Eve was tricked. Adam stood by and was just stupid. I mean, one of my heart cry is to see in this church is a men's ministry to kind of come out of it because I think we need to retrain men and tell them this is what it means to be a man, to take responsibility, to lead, to do all that. And, and so I, I don't necessarily think she was like a horrible person. I think she was in horrible circumstances, but because of that, she had shame. There are so many people out there that are never going to walk through these doors because they feel shame. Guys, that's why I'm pushing these home groups. That's why I'm yeah, harping on them all the time. Man, let's start home groups. Let's get because someone may come to your house before they ever walk through those doors. And if they come to your house, they're going to hear about the grace and the love of God. And maybe they'll walk through. But they had shame. She had shame. I mean, look at the disciples. What did it say? They went to go get something to eat. So guess what? They passed her by. 
These guys that were walking with Jesus that said, we know, man, we're the disciples, man. We're doing stuff. Peter's like, I walked on water one time. I started drowning, but I walked on water for a couple of steps, and we get to hang out with Jesus, the Messiah. And they're excited. They're going to food, and they passed her by. How many times did we just walk by somebody? Someone else will tell them. Someone else will intervene. Someone else will say something. I'm just going to keep walking by because I have my agenda. Our churches are full of too many agendas today. There have been more churches that have been planted from church splits than people actually caring about the community that the gospel needs to go to. And we split over the stupidest stuff. I wanted blue carpet. But I wanted red. They brought drums in. Oh my gosh. They're playing music that I don't like. Someone sat in my seat and the pastor didn't say anything. It is ridiculous. We get so much of our agenda. And that's what the disciples, they just passed her by. They just passed her by. But I love that Jesus sat there and said, you're worth it. You're worth it to break every cultural norm. You're worth to make every like rule and everything that we're supposed to be doing. You're worth breaking that. Because there's someone that needed to hear there's someone that needed to hear. I promise you there's someone in your life that needs to hear. There's someone that nobody else is looking at. That if you will just step up and speak up, that God will change a life. It, 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 it's amazing. And we need to understand that something bigger is happening when we're obedient to God. We get in this idea, so what's just one person? Just one person. What's that going to do if I just if I say one thing? You know, maybe they'll accept it. Maybe they won't. I don't know. But something bigger was happening. Jump down to verse thirty nine and forty two. Look what happens because this one woman, this one woman, Jesus takes the time to show value and talks and speaks truth into. Look what it says. It says now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Since we have heard for ourselves and know that this reality really is the Savior of the world. This is Messiah. Look what happened. One woman went back and said, look what God has done for me. He knew everything I did, and he loved me anyway. He accepted me anyway. He offered me grace anyway. Come and see. And I don't know how many times she ran back and forth from that well, just going to tell everybody. Because, again, it's a woman. Who's going to listen to her? She was persistent. She wanted to go out and say, hey, you got to see this. And an entire city was changed. An entire community was changed. Because... One was obedient, say, let me go tell you the message that's been given to me. Look what happened, just one person. How many of you guys know who D.L. Moody is? He's one of my favorite authors. I love reading his sermons and stuff. I love reading. He started Moody Institute. My daughter went there for a year. Chicago, Florida and Chicago, one winter. She moved back. Sorry. <laughs> she was not going to make it. But I love the story, and everybody knows who that. But does anybody know the shoe salesman, the guy that was like his Sunday school teacher? That led him to Christ? One person being obedient can change everything. It changed 
everything because we're part of something bigger. Would you understand that? When we share what God has done for us, when we share that message, when we share the gospel, when we just leave it up to God, say, God, do whatever you're going to do, it can change everything. Listen, I know for a fact that our country, our culture, it's horrible right now. Things are going crazy. And we've got all kinds of help organizations and all kinds of things that to help people to understand how to do their finance, how to do parenting, how to get along in relationships, how to how to be a leader, how to succeed in this, how to invest wisely, how to do this. You, you go to the how-to section of any bookstore, and it is rows and rows and rows of book. You go to the religious section where it talks about Christianity, it's three shelves. But can I tell you that the only thing that's going to change this city, the only thing that's going to change this country, the only thing that's going to change this world is the gospel. And it is our duty, it is our calling to share that wherever we go with whoever God puts us in our path. And it is amazing what happens when you're obedient. I'm going to tell you, it's the best discipleship program. I, I've seen churches with all kinds of strategies that say, like, here's our discipleship program. We're going to memorize, you know, the entire Old Testament. We're going to do this, and we're going to do this. I'm going to teach you how to, like, take notes in the Bible. I'm going to do all that stuff. You want to know the best discipleship program? It's when you get out and you start sharing the gospel. Because the more you tell it, the more you know it, the more confidence you have it. And you see God doing things that you could never imagine doing yourself. I've seen it over and over and over again. I love David Platt always says, we're the church. We are God's plan A. There is no plan B. We are it. To go and call and to challenge and to speak life into people. And it does take speaking. We can't just sit there and go like, let's just be nice people. Let's give them some water and some bags and, and all this stuff and just tell them, God loves you. Peace be with you. Be still. James says, what good is that? If you just look at somebody and say, hey, you know. You're good. God bless you. And we do nothing for him. And so there has to be mission. There has to be there has to be justice in that. But at the same time, we have to tie the gospel to it. I've said this a thousand times and I'll keep saying it. You teach a man, you feed a man a fish. He'll eat for a day. You teach a man to fish. He'll eat for the rest of his life. But if you don't tell him the gospel, he's going to die and go to hell anyway. We have got to be a people that speak out and speak up. And there are people that God has placed in your life to do that right now. Right now. So so who is my mission? Simple. Everybody. Everybody is your mission. Every person. There's no such thing as coincidence, I believe, in this world. I think God gives us divine appointments every single day. And we have got to be ready to give an answer. In fact, we're challenged. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Always be ready to share. This is what God is doing for me. It is Everybody that doesn't know him, everybody. And for those that do know him, those that have walked away from him, there's so many people that have walked away from church that met him as a child or something. They have forgotten. We can go in and speak remembrance into them. We can speak life back into him because it's everybody. Who is my mission? It is everyone. The Bible says go into all the world making disciples. Every place, every tongue. I'm going to tell you this. When we get to heaven, there is not a Methodist section, a Baptist section, a Pentecostal section. There's not. We are all together. So start getting along now. There's not a white section, a black section, a Hispanic section, an Asian section. There's not. We are all together. 
because it is everybody. Jesus, God said in John 3, 16, for God so the world, the world, the cosmos, all of it, that he gave his son. Not for a select few. And so it is everybody that we share. So, so who is this everybody? Let me, let me give you that out because that seems a little overwhelming. Like, how do I tell everyone? How many billions of people are on the planet? Good news this morning. You're not responsible for the billions of people. God has given you a sphere of influence. In the Bible, there's this word called oikos. It's Greek. And all it means is household. And in New Testament times, that usually was about to 8 to 15 people. 8 to 15 people in, in, in the name. And, and over again, we see when, when Christ meets somebody, when a life is changed, when, when someone is transformed, he says, go back to your oikos. And tell them what God has done. We, we talked about it a few weeks ago, the, the demon-possessed man, the first missionary that Jesus sent out, really. He said, I want to follow you. He's like, no, go back to your, go back to your household. Go back to, and tell them everything that I've done for you. And then just a few months later, Jesus shows up and 4,000 people come to hear him speak. Over and over again, he, he talks about Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree. Well, that took a lot of guts. We're going to do a whole message on that. Because they all wore robes, and he climbed up in a tree. (laughs) You want to talk about embarrassing. But he wanted to see Jesus. And what did Jesus say? He says, go tell your oikos, your household, the people of influence, the people that are in your sphere. Go tell them. Again, the centurion in John 4. It was his whole household is saved. You look in Acts when the centurion, when Peter comes to me, it says his whole household. And so God has given us a sphere of influence. That's not billions and billions of people, but it is certain people. I put on your, I put on your seats this little, I keep putting these out there, don't I? Give you little things to take home. One more made for mission. I put the word France on it. We are not doing a mission trip to France. <laughs> Sorry. I've been to Paris, so it's good. I can tell you. I'll show you pictures. <laughs> um, but I, I put a little word there because I, I think there, there's a sphere of influence. Last week I said, who's your one more? I, I want to challenge you that it's more than just one. And, and so it's very, very simple. This will help you remember who is my household, who are these people that I'm supposed to do. So F, F stands for friends. Who are my friends? Who are the people I hang out with in my neighborhood, at my job and stuff? Who, who are the people that see my life that I can speak into? Are relatives. Who are those relatives? Listen, and I know it is hard to talk to relatives about Jesus. Because they've seen you when you didn't know Jesus. It's hard. I understand. And one of the greatest gifts God gave me in my life was the last year of my father's life. I got to spend every weekend for him. He had emphysema. He died of emphysema. And it was hard to see the strongest man I've ever knew. Just weaken, week after week. But he made a mistake. He put on all his paperwork, his hospice paperwork, that I was his pastor. (laughs) And so I got to sit weekend after weekend and sit there and talk to him. He says, Dad, tell me about your faith. I need to know about your faith and hear about it. I've got a brother that has walked away from the church. We grew up in the church, and we've got a long history of stuff, that of abuse and, and everything that happened years before my daddy married my mom that he had to deal with. I was the youngest. I didn't have to deal with it. 
And every time I see him, I talk to him about like, hey, you know, where's your faith at? And he doesn't want to talk to me. I understand. But it doesn't mean because it's hard we don't do it. If you love him, you're going to ask. And by the way, all you're doing is planting a little seed. We talked about that last week. Paul said, I planted Apollos watered. God brings the increase. Just keep casting that seed. And so our relatives, we think about those people that maybe are far off that we can speak into and they can see. Um, A, our acquaintances. You know who those are. Those are the people you kind of work with, you don't really know and stuff and everything. I've got, I've got thousands of acquaintances. <laughs> you know, just because they like me on Facebook does not make them my friends. <laughs> There's too many people that believe that. Like, I have thousands of friends. I'm like, tell me about that person. I really, they just friended me, so I said yes. <laughs> I've got thousands of acquaintances. I work with thousands of acquaintances. Our sec- we just had these meetings in our security department at Universal. You know, there are a thousand security officers there now. I mean, it is it is tripled in size in the last two years. There's just a ton of people, and I see different people all the time. I see young kids coming in. I'm like, who's that? It is weird. I've been there a year, and now I'm the old guy. <laughs> to everybody, I'm like, you're, you're dad. <laughs> and for some, like, you're grandpa. I'm like, shut up. Go away. <laughs> And I don't hang out with them any other time, but, man, man, we have acquaintances. I remember the other day I was in our command center, and I get to dispatch everything, and it is a stressful job, and I have cameras everywhere. By the way, if you're at Universal and I know it, I will find you. <laughs> I know where all the cameras are, and I will find you. I'm like, uh, that, kick them out. But, but I, I love this idea. This guy looked at me, and we were just there all day. Crazy stuff was happening. We have police we have to call there's people that were trying to like jump over turnstiles and it was a crazy day and stress and, and all stuff i'm like oh my gosh it's just it's gonna kill me and my the guy next to me young guy named nick looks at me and he says Are you afraid to die i'm like no he's like what he's like i'm not afraid to die when i die my knees no longer hurt my back doesn't hurt i'm a guy get a new body god's gonna like restore all me i'm, I'm he's like what <laughs> I was like, here's the deal. We as sinners, when we turned away from God, we chose death. We said, God, I'm going to do it my way. And because of that, death in the body. And so we die and, and all that stuff. But Christ is going to return one day. And when he does, he's going to restore everything back to perfection. I said, that's always been the goal. That's always been the standard, perfection. We have to be perfect. He's like, yeah, but I, I only do a few bad things. I'm like, do you ever lie? I was like, yes. I said, that's sin. I'm sorry. <laughs> the standard's perfection. I got to share the gospel with this guy in like 10 minutes. He's just an acquaintance because you got to be ready. Silly question. Are you afraid to die? No. For me to live as Christ, for me to die would be so much better. We got to be ready. And so there's acquaintances. And, and then the end, our neighbors. The days are gone. I remember being a kid growing up. I, was a, I grew up in Port Charlotte, Florida as a little kid. My front yard was the baseball diamond of the neighborhood. That's where I learned to play. We broke so many windows (laughs) (laughs) with wiffle balls. It's bad. (laughs) But we all came together, and there were were no gates. You didn't have to buzz in or anything. We just knew all our neighbors. We've we've lost that in in our culture now. What a great challenge for us to know our neighbors. Where I live now, I don't know a lot of my neighbors. I go and try to talk to them and see them. They all know I'm a pastor. 
they see me coming, and a lot of times they're like, oh, let's get back inside. (laughs) 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 That's okay, but man, we have neighbors. God has placed us in a place. And then finally see our coworkers or our classmates. God has put us right where we need to be. And the final, the E is keeping our eyes open. Keeping our eyes open. Who who are those friends? Who are those relatives? Who's that acquaintance? Who's that neighbor? Who's that coworker or classmate that I can keep my eyes open for the moment that God gives me a chance? Are you afraid to die? No. Let me tell you why. Because here's what God's done for me. Man, we have got to keep ready. Because I'm telling you something. They're waiting for us to show up. They're waiting for us. Watch this. When's it going to happen? Here I am. There you are. Here I am, desperate for love, for truth. What are you going to do when you leave this building? Are you going to share with me what you've been learning here today? Or are you just going to bottle it up and pull it out next week for your friends? Now, when I say share, I'm not talking about every tactic you've used on me in the past, like judging my every move, telling me I'm a bad person, pointing fingers, giving me disgusting looks. (laughs) And my favorite is when you tell me that I'm lost. I don't even know what that means to be lost. Do you really think judging me is going to make me change? Would it make you change? Now, I I know I'm a bad person. I've, I've done bad things. But I don't need you to tell me that. What I need is for you to pick me up when I fall down. To be there when I'm broken. Yes, there's there's something missing in me. There's a void in my heart that I don't know how to fill. You have it. You have that thing that makes you whole. You know that person that I need to know. So I'm watching your every move. I'm watching where you go and what you say and do. Because I'm desperate for something real. I need something genuine to know that there's something more here than this. I mean, this, this can't be it, really. And I think you know that. Listen to me. I need you. I need you to be here for me. I need you to walk out right now, ready and willing to do whatever it takes. It's, it may not be comfortable. It may not be easy. I need you to show me love. No matter the cost, show me what unconditional love really looks like. Stop telling me about this God of yours and show me who he really is. Honestly, I'll probably resist you. I'll probably argue with you and laugh at you. I'll, you know, even when you fall, I'll probably call you a hypocrite. But don't give up on me. Please don't give up on me. So I'm going to ask you, 
when's it gonna happen? When's it gonna happen? They're waiting. God has given you a sphere of influence. God has given you people in your life right now waiting to hear that God is real and that he changes and that he meets us where we're at and he loves us enough not to leave us there. And we carry that with us. Our mission is right outside that door. It's in our neighborhoods and it's in our it's in our offices. It's in, in the parties and the people we hang out with. Our mission is right there. We just have to be willing to do it. I love it. Curry. Ooh, is that coming up? Let me just read this to you. For some reason, it's not showing. Curry R. Blake says this. If your gospel isn't touching others, it hasn't touched you. I believe with all my heart. If you are not sharing, if you're not speaking it into others and showing people the love of Christ, then my question is, is like, how much do you know that love? How much has it affected you? Because, man, I can't keep it in. I can't keep it to myself. Simple prayer this morning. Lord, would you give me your heart for the lost? I dare you to pray that this week. I dare you to pray that. I pray every day I walk in the Universal Studios in the morning and I walk over. I pray for peace, protection, and for a person. God, just give me one person I can share with, one person I can tell. I dare you to pray that prayer this week. Lord, would you give me your heart for the lost? It will change everything for you. This morning, our response is simple. Who's your people? I don't want these. We're going to have the band come up. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to have our our team come up and and lead us in in a time of response. And I just want you to take time to think about it. Who is that friend? Who is that relative? Who is that acquaintance? Who's that neighbor? Who's that coworker or classmate that I can keep my eyes open for? I want you to make a list. Just put a name in there. And I want you to take it. I want you to stick it on your mirror and every day. God, give me opportunity. You want to see God answer prayers? Ask him for opportunity to share about him. You want to see God actually like move in your prayer life and do that? Ask him that. God, give me an opportunity to speak. To show your love and your grace to this person today. See what happens when we are obedient. See what happens when we figure out that our mission is right in front of us. Not across the sea. Not everywhere. Those are great things. And yes, we want to be a church that are sending people out there. And we want to go and do missions and do all stuff. But we can't go there if we're not doing it here. Who are those people for you? Who is my mission? Just look around. They're all around you. You just have to have the courage. I just have the courage to speak up.
and then trust God for the outcome. Let's pray.